Welcome, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church. It is a beautiful, beautiful, rainy, cold December Sunday morning, but we're glad that we're in the Lord's house together. Open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and uh, let me uh, introduce something important to you. You'll find this document out on the table as you came in. It's also in the live event linked if you're following by, uh, by way of the YouVersion Bible app. I want to talk to you about a 1,000-day calendar, a 1,000-day calendar. Most of you keep a, maybe a one-year calendar. Some of us keep a to-do list for a single day. But I want to talk about a 1,000-day calendar for our church. Now, some time ago, uh, we feel like God revealed to our church the 2020 vision. The 2020 vision is, is, is a revelation of what? It, it's what? It's what we feel like God says is possible when our total obedience meets his unlimited power. So in other words, if our church, if all of us as individuals will be completely faithful to what God wants us to do over time, the, uh, the result of that will be something like the establishment of 20 new churches. That's our church's vision, the, the, the 2020 vision. Now, here's how this goes. 2020 is an actual year, y'all. At one point, it sounded like a long way off, but it's getting closer and closer and closer every day that we live. And that brings us to the 1,000-day calendar. We've never really set a definite end point for 2020. We've always said, you know, 2020, which is a whole year. I guess in my mind, I was thinking like, you know, midnight, December 31st, 2020. Let's, let's get as much time out of this as we can. But, but let's get serious and let's mark the deadline and let's really begin talking about what God wants us to do in the time that we have left. So let's do this. Let's set the end point for the 2020 vision at the second Sunday in September in the year 2020. That means by September 13th in the year 2020, we want to have fulfilled what God has called us to do. And that would be to plant or be partners in planting 20 churches. Now, right now, standing here on December 17th, is this, y'all trusted me for a thousand day calendar, I don't know what day it is. <laughs> December 17, 2017, okay, we are at 13. We have either planted or partnered to plant 13 churches. That's pretty amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So we have seven to go, seven to go between today and we'll say September 13th, the year 2020. So honestly, if we start backing up and counting the days, then 1,000 days from September 13th, year 2020 is tomorrow. It's tomorrow. So I want us to start counting down the days with a 1,000-day calendar, which starts tomorrow. Now, the importance of that for me is simply being able to mark those days and, and, and make sure that we set days aside for prayer, for fasting, for, for, for planning, for trying to organize, strategize, to make sure we're doing uh, everything God wants to do with everything that he has given us to do it. So tomorrow would be the 1,000th day. I'm asking you as a congregation to set that day aside for prayer with me. I just want you to pray. First off, I think in our prayers, we should be celebrating what God has done. It's absolutely unbelievable that we are at number 13 already. That, that's amazing and unbelievable, 13. We need to celebrate and thank God for that. Every single church that we've had a part in planting, every single church planter, pastor that God has brought to us, we all know, man, that it, it seemed for us to come out of the blue. God is good. And God works in ways that we can't even ask or imagine. So it's, it, it, it's wonderful what God has done. So let's thank him for what he's done and just beg him for what he's going to do next, for what he's going to do over the next 1,000 days. Now tomorrow, let's focus our prayers especially 
on our international partners. Right now we have Joel and Jesse Nickel in Turkey. They're some of our newer partners. They are pioneer church planters for the International Mission Board, and we're sponsoring them. So Joel and Jesse Nickel in Turkey, let's pray for them. They've hardly been there long enough to get started, so let's just pray that their work will begin to gain traction, they'll begin to bear fruit, they'll begin to win converts, and begin to plant churches. That's Joel and Jesse Nickel in Turkey. Let's pray especially for them tomorrow. Our other international partners I can't name on video or put out on the internet because they are in places where missionaries, church planters aren't welcome, but, but, but you know who we're praying for. Let's pray for our other church planters in, in Asia, throughout Asia. Let's just simply pray that all of those church planters there will also begin to bear fruit, begin to win converts, begin to plant churches. So tomorrow, let's focus on our international planters on the 1,000th day and leading up to the 2020 vision. I'm telling you, God is good and God is great. We are an ordinary church, y'all. We are plainer than cornbread, uh, and, and yet God uh, may yet use us to do something amazing for him. Let's give our lives to him and give our church to him and see what he will do. Open your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7, and let's look at a very, very important Christmas passage in 2 Samuel, thinking, what? This is not the Christmas story. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. 2 Samuel chapter 7. See if you can find the Christmas story in here. You ready? Let's start in verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 7. When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, go ahead, do whatever you'll have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Now, go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now, I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time 
and your throne will be secure forever. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said in this vision. Okay, there are 24 hours in a day, right? Okay, so there are how many days in a week? Seven days in a week. How many, how many weeks in a month? Something like four, four weeks in a month. How many months in a year? Okay, 12 months in a year. Okay, how many years in a decade? 10 years in a decade, all right? How many years in a century? 100 years in a century. How many years in a millennium? 1,000 years. Okay, so understand, this is 1,000 years before Jesus is born. What we just read in 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is 1,000 years. King David was a historical king, ruler, and we know about him from history. And we know that he ruled sometime around the year 1,000 1000 BC, 1,000 before Christ. So about 1,000 years, give or take a year or two, before Jesus is born, King David is, is having this encounter with God. And I'm telling you, this is part of the Christmas story. This is a beautiful part of the Christmas story. Now, how does this connect with Christmas? Somebody tell me. Do you know? You make me read it all again? How does it connect? What's the connection? Yeah, absolutely. One of the prophecies right here in 2 Samuel is that God is going to establish King David's throne forever. That there will be a, a kingdom established from David that is going to last for all time before God. Now, you don't have to be a smart, you know, Jeopardy kind of champion to know that King David does not have a, an earthly descendant sitting on an earthly throne today. There is no descendant of David in any place in government on the face of the earth. So obviously, if this prophecy is to have come true, that we're talking about a different kind of kingdom. We're talking about a different kind of king, and we are. And that's a beautiful part of this prophecy. You have to understand that the birth of Jesus, as, as, as we know, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, his time in Egypt, all these details from the story of how Jesus was born, these relate to prophecies, sometimes prophecies that were centuries, and in this case, 1,000 years before fulfillment. This is part of how we know that Jesus is who he says he is. This is how we know that the promises of God are always, always dependable. God is faithful. It may take a long, long time for God to do his work, but understand, he's God. He's got nothing but time. And he works slow, sometimes he works fast, but that's beside the point. God keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. Turn in your Bibles to the New Testament Gospel of Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1 is one of those passages that we just typically blow right past because it's boring. Matthew chapter 1, why would I say it's boring? It's just names. It's a list of names that nobody can pronounce. I mean, anytime you hear a preacher actually try to read through this, you know, he's making names up. Nobody knows how to say Shealtiel. I made that up, y'all. I mean, it's right there in verse 12. I don't know how to pronounce that. Eliakim, Abiud, verse 13, Eleazar, Mathan, Boaz. I mean, it's just name after name after unpronounceable Hebrew name. And yet we have 16 verses of unpronounceable Hebrew names. Why are they there? 
Why are they there? Look at verse 1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David. Whoa. Son of David, one of the names of the Christ, the, the son of David. Now, we say son. We don't mean son like Wade Harris is my son. That's just one generation. But in, in the biblical scheme of things, you say that Jesus is the son of David because he is in the lineage. He's in the family tree of, of David. And that is a promise to David way back a 1,000 years ago in the story we find in 2 Samuel chapter 7. A 1,000 years before any of this happens, God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring from your family tree a king, and he shall reign forever and ever. He will be the Christ. His name is Jesus. You understand that fulfillment of promise? God keeps his promises. God promised that the Messiah would come from the family tree of David, and here it is, the family tree, and there is Jesus at the end of it. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Well, it's a beautiful thing that God keeps his promise, but this family tree is not beautiful. Uh, have you read the family? I'm not going to stop and make you read it, but I encourage you to because, y'all, there are some real orangutans swinging in this family tree. I mean, this is not a beautiful family tree. I mean, you think your family's messed up and you just got from Thanksgiving. You still got PTSD, you know, from Thanksgiving with your family. And I'm telling you, your family, your family's looking like the Waltons compared to this. I mean, this family tree is a train wreck. I'm not being disrespectful to Scripture. I'm not being disrespectful to people whose names and stories appear in Scripture. I'm speaking biblically because I've read the stories. You have too. I mean, some of these stories you can't even explain to your children. There are people in this family tree that, that would absolutely be like a sexual train wreck. We, got pro we don't just have prostitutes, y'all. We got a woman who ran a house of prostitution in this family tree. We got murderers. We got adulterers. Why in the world would God make a promise to bring Jesus out of a family that is this messed up? Why did God choose a messed up, dysfunctional train wreck of a family to bring Jesus out of? Why would God do that? Why would God use a family like this? Because it's the only kind of family there is. It's the only kind of family there is. God uses people, which means anytime God uses people, God has to use sinners because it's the only kind of people that there are, sinners. David himself was a phenomenal man. He's called the apple of God's eye, a man after God's own heart. It's, 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 it's really beautiful, the heart that David has for God. But understand, David's not a perfect man either. David was an adulterer. David was a murdering adulterer. I mean, this man is not perfect, and yet there's something about David. When he sins, and, and he can sin in horrible ways, but when David sins, David just always somehow makes his way back to God. He just keeps coming back to God. Just keeps coming back to God. And God can use a man or a woman. God can use a teenager. God can use anybody who will just keep coming back to him. You understand that? So in this particular instance, David is now 
just finally a place of comfort in his life. David has not always lived in a palace. David has run for his life for a lot of his years. He had enemies that would have gladly killed him. But here it is, finally, God has brought David to his throne. God has brought David to a marvelous place in his life. And now he's living in this gorgeous palace, this amazing palace. But then David remembers that, that, that he has a palace, this amazing palace of cedar, which in the ancient world would have been phenomenal wealth. And then he recalls that, that, that the ark of God, the presence of God, is still in a tent. It's, it's a little pup tent out, out back. It's the same tent that when the children of Israel were wandering, you know, they, they carted that thing around and covered it with a tent. I mean, David's moved on up in the world. David has a nice house now, but God's still living in a tent. And David says, something about that just bothers me. I, I want to build a temple. I want to build a house for God. The prophet Nathan comes by and says, man, that sounds like a beautiful idea. I'd say go ahead. Whatever you want to do, you just do that because God is with you. Whatever you want to do, you just do it because God's with you. That's a great idea. But then that night, the word of God intervenes. Now understand, Nathan is a prophet, but he's still human. And in that moment when he said, oh, you just do that because that's a great idea and God's with you. Whatever you want to do, you just do that. You see, he wasn't a prophet in that moment because he wasn't speaking for God. He's speaking for Nathan. It made sense to Nathan, just like it made sense to David, that a temple for God, that sounds like a great idea. But in the middle of that night, God goes to Nathan and says, no, you need to go back to David and tell him what I actually say. And what I say is, I don't need no house from you. It is not my plan for you to build a house for me. Now, let's just back up right there because it's a beautiful, beautiful place to learn a lesson for our own lives. And here's the big principle. And so many of us who are believers, we think like David thinks. We just think that, that we've got good ideas and we have good intentions. So we're just going to go live our lives, do whatever we want, and we just know that God is with us and God's going to bless us because we're honest. Because we're going to do something good in the world. But understand, in life... You don't just do whatever you want and count on the Lord's blessing. That's not how it works. We, we, we mess up our teenagers all the time by saying, what are you going to be when you grow up? What do you want to be? And they're thinking, I don't know, maybe oh, I'll be a doctor. Maybe I'll be a flight attendant. I don't know, that circus clown, a rodeo, you know, cowboy. I don't know, you know. The idea is you just choose because God's going to bless you no matter what you do. And that's not how the world works. You don't just do whatever you want to do and then just count on God to come along behind you and bless it all. You are not the star of this show. You're not the one making plans. And it's not that you're not smart and it's not that your heart's not in the right place. I said, I don't know about your heart. I don't know about David's heart either. Because you can read this story in a way where you think maybe David's all about God, but but understand, for a king in the ancient world, you know, having a glorious temple in his kingdom for his God, I mean, that's going to look good for him too. It's not just God who might be a little embarrassed to be in a tent. I mean, David is a great king now, and that tent has become an eyesore. You know, I mean, nobody's ever going to come on HGTV to focus on David's tent out back, you know. It doesn't work that way. So there could be some mixed motives here for David. We don't know his heart. But God knows his heart. But more importantly, God knows what God's going to do. David thinks he can see a long way. He's got this long-term plan to build a temple. 
And God says, do you want to know long-term plans? Just sit back, Bubba. Let me tell you what I'm planning on doing thousand years from now. See, that's the trouble with, with, with you and me. We have this long-range plan. We think that we can see far, but we don't see far enough. It's not even possible for us to see far enough. And we don't see clearly. We don't even understand our own hearts. So when it comes to planning, it's probably best for you to kind of stop telling God the plan for your life and start listening to God's plan for you. Understand? Stop telling God your plans. Stop telling God your plans for God. Listen for God's plan for you. Listen. Man, David's heart could be messed up. I, I don't know. And, and the point is God knows, but God doesn't, God doesn't punish. God doesn't reprimand David for wanting to do what God didn't want to do. Because the point is David listens. And because David listens, God can speak, and God just speaks, and God just corrects David in the most wonderful way. It's, it, it's absolutely beautiful. Verse 5, go tell my servant David, this is what the Lord declares. Are you the one to build a house? <laughs> Are you the one to build a house for me? <laughs> You're going to build a house for me. It's, it's cute when you say stuff like that, David. But, but because, because I took you, <laughs> I, I took you from tending the sheep. Do you remember David? Remember where you were when I found you? You were standing out about hip deep in sheep manure. Do you remember that, David? Do you remember that, that the prophet went out to find the, the new king and he went on all your brothers and you were like the last choice? You were like, you know, the little red-headed goon kid, you know, like the, the dork. You were like the last choice. But, but, but I saw something in you that nobody else would see because people look on the outside, but God looks on the heart. I saw your heart David, I, I took you from tending sheep. I, I selected you to be the leader. I've been with you wherever you've gone. I, I've been with you. I've destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. I did that, David. I mean, we love the story of David and Goliath, right, where David goes out. And David is so brave. And David is so awesome. He takes a smooth stone. He puts it in a sling. He winds it up. Bop. Knocks the Giant right between the eyes, Goliath hits the ground. God says, remember, David, I did that. That, that. that was me. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but you've always been the one to put your faith in the Lord your God. I, I'm your God, David. I did that. Now, now, now. I will make your name as famous as anyone who's ever lived on earth. And I will provide a homeland for my people. And on and on and on he goes. Verse 11, I will give you rest. Furthermore, I'm going to build a house for you. I will make of you a house. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I just said that David, you know, David and Nathan both got off track. They had this plan that wasn't God's plan. And God says, oh, wait, 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 stop. You go back to David, you tell him, this is what the Lord says. I'm not wanting you to build a house for me. I'm going to build out of you a house. Wow, God's plan, God's promise is just to keep piling on the blessings for David. Just keep piling them on. 
this guy who's a murderous adulterer, this guy who sometimes has good ideas, sometimes his ideas are more about himself, we don't even know. But the point is, God knows. But God just continues to want to bless and bless and bless and bless him. I'm going to make of you a house, a, a dynasty of kings. And we're talking about David's family. We're talking about something that God wants to do in David's family. And as I said, man, these people are going to be messed up. There'll be some people in David's family that are going to be really, really embarrassing when the picture shows up in the church directory. Do you understand? I mean, there's some people in David's family that if they could keep them in the basement, they would. But that's the point, y'all. God just parades them out in Scripture, parades them out there, tells their name, tells their story, and says, yeah. And then out of all that comes my son, Jesus, the Messiah, Savior of the world, out of all this mess. And God calls it right here a dynasty. A, a dynasty. Understand, God doesn't look for perfect people. God uses broken people. It's the only kind of people that there are. So God uses these people and creates something, does something that's going to be a blessing for the entire world. Understand, David starts this story with, with what he's going to do for God, but God ends up overwhelming him with just a little bitty picture of what he's going to do for David and for the entire world. God is going to do great things. Yo, old saying goes, you can't outgive God. You can't outdo God. You can't outlove God. David's like, God, I'm going to do you a great big favor. And God says, oh, David, just don't even waste your time. Let me do for you. Now I'm going to do something for you you never even imagined. But understand something. And, and this is hard for, hard to understand, hard to communicate. But, uh, but listen to me. Get this part of this. Every command from God is built upon a promise from God. God gives David this amazing promise in, in this story. It is a promise about the Christ. It's a promise uh, about all that God's going to do to save the whole world and how he's going to use David and the family of David in, in the years to come in ways that David won't even be alive to see. It's this beautiful promise, but in that promise, understand, that there's a command that, that's included, and that command is simply, no, you're not going to build the house. You're going to have to surrender your plan, David. You're going to have to get with my plan. In other words, God commands what he commands because he promises what he promises. Sometimes God will say no to what you want to do, and you may not understand that. It may not have been necessarily even a bad thing, but God still says no. And when God says no, you have to obey him. You have to listen to him because God commands what he commands because he promises what he promises. And you have to do what he commands in order to experience what he promises. If David goes his own way here, if David doesn't follow God, then understand, this promise of God becomes jeopardized. It's dependent upon David's willingness to walk with God, to keep coming back to God, to obey God. So God's commands and God's promises are always somehow vice versa, always traveling together. You don't get one without the other. So whatever it is that you feel like God has promised you, whatever it is that you feel like God is trying to do in your life, do you not understand that promise, that work that he's doing, it's dependent upon your obedience. It's dependent upon your habit of coming to God in prayer and then coming back to God and listening to God and hearing his word and surrendering your ideas to God's ideas, surrendering your desires to God's desires, giving up your plans, letting go of your plans so that you can take hold of what God wants. Because I promise you, I promise you, what God has in mind for you is better. 
It's better. It's more beautiful. It is greater than anything you could ever possibly ask for or imagine. If David had thought of this, he'd have asked for this. He was thinking just a temple. God says, no, no, listen to what I want to do for you. Twenty-four hours is a day, seven days is a week, four weeks is a month, twelve months is a year, ten years is a decade, hundred years is a century, thousand years is a millennium, a thousand years later, a baby is born. In Bethlehem, which is the city of David, this baby is of the house and lineage of David. God keeps his promise. Thousand years later, God keeps his promise to David. I guess the final word today is just the simple word to any of us who are waiting on God to do what God has promised. God promises to be near the brokenhearted. And some of you today, your hearts are broken and you're still waiting for him to come and, and wipe the tears away. He promises that if any of us come to him, if any of us are in Christ, it will be a new creation. And some of us are still waiting for some old things to pass away and new things to come. We're waiting. I guess the point is, when you're waiting on God, there can be a, a season, there can be a, a period of time in there when it may seem like God's not doing anything. You ever been there? It, it may be the 24 hours in a single day, or the seven days that make a week, or it may be the four weeks that make a month. It may be months, it may be years, it may be decades that you may wait. And wonder, is God doing anything? Is God keeping his promise? Is he going to show up? Is he going to be faithful? I want to remind you, always faithful. He keeps every single promise. In your fear, in your anxiety, in your sadness, in your grief, in your loss, your temptation is going to be to try to come up with a plan of your own, to make yourself secure, to, to, to try to nail things down so that you will feel like things aren't going to fall out from under your feet. And I'm just telling you, that's as right as that sounds to you, it's the wrong approach. Stop telling God your plans. Stop trying to do something to make yourself secure. You can't make yourself secure. Stop telling God, start listening to God. Because I promise you, what he has for you is greater, it's better, and he will be more faithful to you than you can possibly even imagine. Wait for him. God is a God who keeps every single
God, you have promised to save us and forgive us and restore us. You, you have promised, Lord, that you would redeem us, that you would buy back what is lost. You have promised, Lord, that you would bind every broken heart. You promised, Lord, that you would preach good news, Lord, to the poor. You promised, Lord, that you would provide for all of our needs, Lord. You, you promised that if we will be faithful to you, that you will be faithful to us. You promised that if we would train up our children in the way that they should go, Lord, that in the end they would not depart, Lord. You promised, Lord. We have this Bible full of promises, Lord, and some of us have walked with you for years, Lord, for decades, for centuries. And yet, Lord, today some of us are still waiting. We're waiting, Lord, for you to do what you said you would do. We're waiting for you, Lord, to make things better. We're waiting, Lord, for the sun to rise on the darkness of our lives, Lord. We're waiting, just waiting, Lord, for joy to come back in the midst of heartbreak. We're waiting, Lord, for you to fill what is empty, Lord. We're just waiting. So, Lord, give us grace peace, courage, strength, patience to wait. You are a God who does not forget. And you are a God who does not make promises that you cannot, would not, are not going to keep. So God, help us, Lord. Help us today to listen for your voice. Help us to be willing to let go of our plans and to take hold of your plans for us. Help us, Lord, to trust, just to trust and obey. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, Son of David.